What is up, you guys? And welcome back to another episode of Verluminati, the podcast where we drink beer and talk about conspiracy theories. My name is John. And this is Jake. And today we are starting another two-part series. Uh, So if you guys have been listening to us since the beginning, you'll know we started the show with a two-part series, and that was about the... uh, social media and its effects on mental health and a bunch of great stuff like that. So we are jumping back and we are doing another two-part series. And this one is about the man himself, the Unabomber, (laughs) (laughs) Ted Kaczynski. So what we are going to talk about in this episode is his early life, his time at Harvard, uh, the MK Ultra experiments, and then we're going to go through his whole manifesto, what it says, the meanings behind it, and all of that stuff. And then next episode, we are going to talk about uh, the aftermath of the manifesto, everything that came out of it, people's responses to it. And then we're going to talk about the bombings themselves, the victims, um, who they were, a bunch of stuff about them. And then we're going to talk about how he got captured, the whole FBI process and all that stuff. And then we're going to, at the end, reflect back on... um, whether it seems like MKUltra really actually had an effect on Ted Kaczynski and everything that he did. Sounds good. Yeah, and that's basically that. So now that we've kind of gone over what we're going to talk about, which we've told you guys that we are going to do at the beginning of every episode now. We're keeping our word. (laughs) We are keeping our word. Let's jump into the beer. So uh, Jake, as always, what you drinking? I am drinking a Sycamore uh, again. Friend, Shocker. Friend of the podcast. Sycamore. Love that brewery. <laughs> uh, this is the Vanilla Affogato Coffee Cream Ale, which I have a suspicion is actually what's in the quote-unquote bad juicy cans. Really? You I think, think that's so? what's in there because you said it sounded like a coffee ale. Yeah, it kind of had a coffee ale jam going on. Yeah, so I think maybe they accidentally put this in those cans, and that's the problem. All right. I mean, it definitely was not the same color as that. I'm looking at it in your glass right now, and it was much more pee-pee colored than that. Hmm. Okay. That's very warm. Leather. Leather. (laughs) (laughs) More off a gotcha. It's much more red leather. (laughs) Yeah, so... um, as I just had to look up, affogato is a gelato dessert with a shot of espresso poured over the top, which I've never had. Sounds delicious. It sounds amazing. I know Vidiri. Wait, no, they don't. I was going to say Vidiri does one, but now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think they do. I think they do a cherry cordial espresso drink or something. Oh, yeah. Well, they have soft serve, so they might do something. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I just have my wires crossed. Yeah, Ignore it's, me. It's sorry. Cool. but uh if you're in the mood for amazing dark chocolate videri is the place to go yeah uh so yeah so this is a uh a nice kind of it's kind of like a cream soda consistency yeah but coffee flavored uh obviously very heavy on the coffee yeah and um comes in at about six point six point four so it's a little heavy but i mean not that bad it's nice like it's uh it's refreshing i usually drink kind of stouts that taste like coffee yeah. And this is a little bit lighter and a, a bit of a nicer drink, but it, you know, I don't think I could have more than one of these. It kind of sits a little heavy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it definitely piqued my interest. I saw it in the store a bunch of times before I actually bought any. And I remember when I drank it, you were asking me bunches of questions about yeah. it. And I was like, I don't, I don't really know how to explain it. I mean, <laughs> I have no a, answers for you. It's a cream ale. 
Yeah, it is creamy. It's definitely very thick. Yeah, but um, coffee. Like yeah. it's it's not quite like full blown coffee stout types coffee where it tastes like you just drink, drink some coffee. Like, yeah. Yeah, where you have like that like espresso aftertaste kind of thing going on. Uh but it definitely yeah. has a very coffee ishness to it, but I kind of wish it had more like I'm not I'm just so you that you guys know, I am not also drinking this beer right now. I am drinking. <laughs> he a just has beer, opinions, but I have drank this beer previously, yeah, yeah. and I kind of wish it had more carbonation to it. Like it seems yeah, a little I agree flat with that. to me. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's um, they say it's vanilla beanie and vanilla beanie, vanilla beanie, and I don't get a lot of vanilla out of it. Yeah, I get more of just like vague coffee. Like we're kind of getting back yeah. to that territory of like. It's a taste getting yelled at you from the other room like a LaCroix. Yeah. And it's like a this, coffee cream LaCroix. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, kind of. It's it's a very thick LaCroix that is coffee. Yeah. You know, so it's Yeah. It's not bad though. I don't hate it. It's yeah. it's not I don't dislike it. Yeah, I know I just had kind of a hard time with it because what I really wanted when I drank it was an IPA. <laughs> <laughs> so the whole time I was drinking, I was just like why did I buy this? And that's Fair. not anything against the beer. It's yeah. more just me and my insanity. I buy yeah. stuff that I have. It kind of has no a pale ale look to it. So you could look at it and still be sad. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. <It's> a- <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I want to say I didn't not like it. It's yeah. just like I do like cream ales a lot. Yeah. But it's more of a very particular kind of cream ale. Like I really like trophies yard of the month which i've said on here before but that's like a very crispy clean summertime cream ale not like genesee or something like that and not like this either this makes me think like cloudy skies you know like you know kind of darker but if i'm gonna go that i'll just go full what's cloudy skies well it's just kind of like something you would drink when it's like rainy outside it's not really like a like a summer beer you know oh okay okay well i guess that makes total sense because at the time we're recording this, it has been raining for like Ever? 68 days straight like, since last summer. Yeah, it is never going to stop raining. It's horrible, yeah. which when I complain about that or I've been complaining to about it to people I work with because I'm like, my hips hurt, my back hurts, I'm tired <laughs> like all the time right now. People are like, you know, I live in Ohio, right? Or New York. And they're like, <laughs> we got six inches of snow last yeah. night. We're getting 13 today. Yeah. And I'm just like. Um, I was complaining to a friend of mine about the cold and he's like, he's like, I'm in Minnesota. It's negative 14 right now. Right. And I was like, oh yeah. Why do people live there? Is that a thing? Yeah. Yeah. Like I want to say I was talking to somebody I work with today and they told me that it was going to be negative 20 or something. There's no point where they were. Yeah. And the first thing I thought was, why why yeah why do people live like that that's one of the beautiful things about raleigh is like it doesn't get super cold here yeah you know well it gets super hot it does but i mean i grew up in florida it gets hotter there you know uh yeah i mean i yeah i guess that's pretty too it's it's not quite georgia hot here right which that's full on ten thousand percent humidity and 104 right 
It's only five thousand percent humidity. Right, right. It's here, a little more so. mild. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. And here you can like go out to Asheville and get up at the altitude a little bit. Not that that helps in the summer much out there. But well, like, I mean, it's still ten or fifteen degrees. Yeah, cooler. But there you can also go to Wilmington, here. get into the get into the beach a little. Yeah. Well, know? it's also probably ten degrees up there right now, where it's thirty five here. Right. Right. But yeah. Anyways. Dark sky beers. I, we're supposed to get sun tomorrow, so maybe we can break out a Kolsch or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm fingers crossed on it. So what does the description say? actually say? On, oh, on uh, so on the side, it actually says uh, a dreamy, creamy, vanilla, beanie, sycamore coffee poured in by the load. This cream ale is a la mode. <laughs> What's it say on the bottom? I didn't even check that. I forgot about it. I forgot about it. Like, 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 forget about it. Oh I forgot God. about it. Oh my gosh, that is hilarious. Uh, and this was canned a couple, like two weeks ago. Oh, okay. Nice. So, my yeah. beer is much older than that because <laughs> it's been sitting in 2013. my 2013. Uh, not quite that old. Not as old as some of the cereal in your grandma's pantry. Yeah, this beer has been sitting in my fridge for. You've had it for a little while. Yes, months. And I don't know why, but I just like have not been very keen on trying to pull it out of the fridge and drink it for some reason. I don't know. I've talked about a number of sours on the show, which this is a sour. Yeah. And I don't know why, but for some reason, it's like when I read the description of this or when, I don't know, there's just something about it that kind of made me not really want to drink it. And now that (laughs) I am drinking it, I'm like... (laughs) I don't know. Maybe I had some epic foresight. Yeah. But I knew I didn't want to drink it. You had bad vibes about it the first minute you saw it. I See, I was hopeful about it. Like, the description sounded kind of interesting. Yeah, but I'm struggling with it because somebody told me it was good. Well, actually, somebody gave this to me oh. and told me it was good. But How now do you I'm feel drinking. about their opinion now? Typically, I take their opinion very highly because mm. they are usually right. Oh, maybe it's skunked. Not so... It's, you know... It's not impossible, but it's been sitting in my fridge at 30 degrees yeah. or 30. It doesn't, it doesn't have a degrees or whatever. I, no. I feel like it didn't go skunky. I it, feel like that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, probably because this doesn't have anything goofy in it. Like fucking <laughs> glitter. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> you know, Bob brothers. <laughs> yeah, appreciate you. But yeah, okay. So not to bury the lead, but so what I am drinking is radio edit by Ancillary Fermentation, which is a brewery that is here in... I want to say it's in Durham somewhere. I believe they are in Durham. It doesn't actually say on here where I can see anything about the actual brewery. It just says it's from Ancillary Fermentation. But what it says is it's called Radio Edit. It is a an American stainless sour ale with blackberry, boysenberry, and lemon. It says Ancillary is a pop up. Oh, this is about the actual brewery. Okay, so yeah. I'll read this real quick, and then we'll and then we'll read about the beer. I haven't actually read this, so I don't know. All right, it says Ancillary is a pop up fermentation experience and a partnership between a bunch of Raleigh Durham beer folks. I always hate that word. Folks, um, <laughs> uh, centered on the idea that beer should be more experimental, more experiential, and a hell of a lot weirder. Okay, Nail, well, nailed it. Yeah, they nailed the experimental, and I'm definitely experiencing something. <laughs> uh, and I'll tell you what that is in a minute. So it says, "Can we say 
fuck on a beer can. <laughs> I don't know, but I can say it on this podcast. So, uh, radio, <laughs> radio edit is a celebration of doing what you want to do and saying what you want to say. We think life is better lived explicitly whenever possible. Okay, cool. So, <laughs> so this can is a barf tan beige color. It's like grayish. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It's like a it's like a pink beige barf color. I don't know. Uh, and it has a picture of. Well, I mean, I actually don't know what this is a picture of. On the side, I thought it was going <laughs> to tell me who this is, but it doesn't. It's just a picture of some. It's like an old 80s radio DJ. Oh, it the art is called 80s DJ. Oh, there you go. Uh, found by somebody named LL in an old record store collection in Bakersfield, California. Oh, so okay. they used this piece of artwork, put some weird logo like on top overlay. of it. Yeah, overlay on top of it and then put it on this barf colored can. So this is 6%. It's a tall boy. And it tastes like metal flavored barf. Like I, I really don't know of a better way to say it. It, it, like, it's almost the same color as that um, the Crank Arm Prince bicycle beer. A, a little darker. That is one is a, a little yeah. more purple and vibrant. Yeah. This one has a little more of like a blueberry smoothie, yeah, kind of color to With it. With like an know? added vegetable protein of some sort yeah and it just <laughs> smells a little like whiny you know what i mean it is yeah like, well and that's so when the stainless steel fermentation i'm pretty sure that's where it comes from so yeah it appears to be a sour they shoved into some stainless steel barrels which is where yeah. they you typically age wine because you can do that to wine and it doesn't get too strange okay and so this i think they did that and that's where you're getting that like metal pennies in your back of your throat that turns into like a barfy taste. Yeah. I don't quite get like a pennies flavor. It's just like general metal. Like general I licked metal-y, a flagpole. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like that kind yeah, of Yeah, not flavor. coppery. Yeah. Yeah, I not coppery, you. just like rusty metal. Kind yeah. Of. Like I said, like a licked a flagpole, which, right. I mean, most people here were probably a kid and licked something metal when they were a kid. And I feel like <laughs> I have this memory in the back of my brain of licking sure. a flagpole or something. Who knows? Yeah. Anyway. I just feel like that that's what this tastes like. Like, I don't feel like I get blackberry or boysenberry. I definitely get uh, acid. Yeah, the like lemon. A, it said there was some lemon in there. Yeah. I feel that in it. Yeah, I get a very acidy lemon flavor that's very, like, sides of the tongue. Yeah. And then I just get, like, metal on the back of the tongue. And then at the very end, after it's all washed down, it's like the fumes are metal-flavored barf. <laughs> Which is what you're looking for in a beer, typically. A hundred percent. So I'm sorry, ancillary fermentation. I see what you're trying to do here. And yeah. I, I respect the idea of weird beer and experimentation. It's like that glass really jug cool. beer lab. Like, cool, experiment. Do not recommend. Do yeah. not like. Yeah. Opposite of what is good. Zero stars. Zero stars. Zero of 10 would not recommend. <laughs> so, so I pulled up their website real quick just to see what they were all about. Okay. And, and the part you read where, yeah, it's a bunch of Raleigh-Durham beer folks. And it looks like what they do is they host these pop-up tap rooms as well as launch one-off beers in different locations around Raleigh-Durham, all okay. centered around a different theme, exploring everything from fancy felines to used goods and to time itself. I 
So it's like it looks like <laughs> it's like some sort of art project where there'll be where they look like, hey, the theme is time travel. Come up with a time travel beer. And they're like, I know. Let's, I have a time travel beer. Let's put it in stainless steel and make it taste barfy. Make like, a seventeen hundreds oatmeal stout. Oh yeah. There was uh somebody thirty percent oatmeal in that bitch. That would be great. I want to try that. I would too. I don't know anybody who does it, but I want to try it. Right? There was uh, a recent I forgot who it was, but there was a brewery that recreated an Egyptian beer from like 5000 BC. That sounds cool. That was kind of interesting. They like found a recipe or something. Yeah, it was it was like obviously in hieroglyphics or something, but they put it together and All figured right. it out. Yeah. Cool. And also, I just I read a news article today where they found the world's oldest brewery. Oh, wow, was, that's cool. It was in um 5000 BC is when it existed and they found something like was 40 it like a- Say what? I was going to say, was it like, you know, Briar Tuck type situation? No, no, this is ancient Egyptians. So, okay. A high production brewery believed to be more than 5,000 years old has been uncovered by a team of archaeologists at a funerary site in southern Egypt. The site contained several quote unquote units consisting of 40 earthenware pots arranged in two rows. And uh, apparently it was all done for brewery's sake. And they, uh, it's the oldest high production brewery location found in the world so far wow that's awesome yeah i saw that and thought of thought of this i wonder if they have any growlers <laughs> <laughs> the only crawlers they, that's oh, like, yeah just crawlers earthenware pots prowlers just that's oh, not, yeah. oh earthenware prowlers. well yeah. let's get to the i don't know the unibomb shit so yeah jake you always know about this stuff so what's up do you know where the name unibomber comes from um a lot of people don't yeah. Uh, yes. I mean, I oh, I saw it in that show, but I, I tried to remember. Saw it in that show, and I'm trying to remember. Uh, I don't know. Fucking it. Uh, it's a a portmanteau. As soon as you say it, I'm gonna be like, I'm an idiot. Of university and airline bomber. That's yes. All those, right. That, those were his targets. So, That's right. Yeah. He did like Villanova twice or some shit. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get we'll get into a lot of that bombing stuff in this in the next episode. Um, yeah, but do you know why he focused on universities and airlines? Do you know what the connection was? Um, technology. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, industrial revolution, and that was kind of yeah. that was Kaczynski's. Uh, well, I mean, that was like his mo. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. let's back it up a little bit and like you know introduce a little. You know, so Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, was uh, a guy who uh, who grew up in Chicago. He was highly educated, highly intelligent guy. And I mean, pretty much everybody knows the story at this point. He was educated at Harvard and then went off the grid. And while he was off the grid, sent out a lot of bombs. And in the meantime... Yeah, he like lived in some backwoods camp that he and his brother made in Montana or some shit. Yeah. And if you... Well, it's closed now, but there used to be a... Um, museum in dc called the museum where they had the part- museum yeah okay it was like the it had like a lot of stuff around news basically oh, okay okay and they had the unabomber's uh cabin actually no the unabomber's cabin is in the smithsonian i believe is it but it's there like they have they have a like literally piece by piece the the cabin that he lived in yeah and it's about half the size of this garage it could probably fit in this garage. Easily fit in this garage. Yeah. And there was no running water, no heat, no electricity, nothing. You know, and the guy existed out there with with nothing essentially, you know, and he was going to town and doing odd jobs and 
and John's making a pukey face. <laughs> yeah, I just finished the very last of that beer, and I think at the very bottom there was some powdered puke. <laughs> like it just it was kinda, concentrated. It, yeah, it hit me all different. I like <laughs> took that last swig, and in the very bottom, I saw this like sediment, and I was just like, "That's the barf." That it's actually instead of putting it in stainless steel barrels to speed up the processing, they just put powdered stainless steel into the beer. That's probably how they do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I wouldn't put it. That's what they do with with wine. Instead of putting stuff in oak barrels, they put oak chips in it while it's in stainless steel barrels, and it gives it more of an oaky flavor. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's it's a way to speed up the. the That's kind of smart. Yeah, it's a way to speed it up. So right. you can do it with uh, whiskey too. It helps. You can add additional Oak chips, chips to the. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, I wonder if I've drank any bourbon or anything that has done that. Probably. Like anything under like 25 bucks a bottle probably is along those lines. And is very like smoky or very woody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Johnny Black probably does that. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. We'll have to look into it. Yeah. I don't know. So, anyways. Kaczynski grew up in, like I said, Chicago. He was born there May 22nd, 1942 to some very working class parents, uh, Wanda Teresa and Theodore Sr., who was a sausage maker. I don't know if that says anything. Um, What's it supposed to say? I don't know. You're looking at me like I should know what that should say. (laughs) It's Chicago. It's, you know, it's. His daddy was the sausage man. The sausage king of Chicago. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, okay, you're missing the Ferris Bueller reference. Am I? A little bit. All so. I can think of is the one from Home Alone with John Candy, the polka king of the Midwest. Oh, yeah. Polka, polka, polka. Yeah. Was that Home Alone? Yeah. Had, yeah. They paid John Candy $100 for like 24 consecutive hours of filming to get that. That doesn't even sound as, like SAG basic minimums. It wasn't. He did it as a favor oh. to, um, what's his name? The guy who did Home Alone. Who wrote Home Alone? Oh, the writer? Yeah, I can't remember his name. Famous, like, children's movie writer guy. I'm blanking on it right now. Somebody out there is going to hate us. John Carpenter? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, I can't think of his name right now, but this dude was, like, real famous. Whatever. Poca, poca, poca. Whatever. (laughs) All right. So uh, Ted's parents, Wanda and Ted Sr., were both Polish Americans who were raised as very devout Catholics and then later became atheists. And... uh, I kind of dug into that because becoming atheist in the the 40s in Chicago when you're Polish and Catholic is kind of rare. That's not really like something that just happens. And I know there's been a lot of connections in like at that time frame, people who were communists tend to become atheists and all these different things. But I dug around. I couldn't find anything on it. There was no other information. John Hughes. Oh, yeah, of course, John Hughes. Yeah. Yeah. Now people won't hate us. No, they're still going to hate us. They're, they're going to hate that we had to look it up. That's the problem. Well, hold on. There's one other fact I want to say real quick. (laughs) This is so unrelated, but I don't know why. Did you know, fun fact, for all you fun factors out there, Macaulay Culkin, as of, I think, the end of last year, is currently the exact same age that Catherine O'Hara was when she played Macaulay Culkin's mom on Home Alone. Was she from Beetlejuice, that Catherine O'Hara? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So she's currently the same age. He, he Macaulay he Culkin is. is currently the same age that Catherine O'Hara was when she was his mom in Home Alone. Huh. How old do you feel now? I mean, I feel ancient every day when I wake up. I mean, up. not as old as Ted Kaczynski probably feels sitting in a jail cell. Well, Better off pen. 
Yeah, he's definitely feels like I'm gonna put on my reading glasses so I can't see you anymore. <laughs> By the way, I'm reading I'm wearing my reading glasses today and I can't see John anymore, which is probably a good thing. Probably. Um so anyways. I just make funny faces at him and across the table. I have to do the teacher look over the brim of my glasses when you know you're in trouble. <laughs> um so one of the first kind of uh, uh memories that uh, Ted Kaczynski's brother David has is his parents telling him about how uh, Ted was a pretty happy baby up until he got a case of quote unquote severe hives that forced him into hospital isolation, which gave him limited contact to others. After which he, after he got out, quote unquote, showed little emotion for months. As a kiddo, little Ted Kaczynski was stuck into basically isolation in a hospital and had to deal with doctors, you know, roughing them up and doing all these stuff. And, and, you know, I'm not defending the Unabomber or any of this. I'm just kind of giving the background. And then um, Ted's mother later told a story to a reporter about Ted recoiling in horror from a photo he saw of himself as an infant being held down by, by physicians examining his hive problem. She added that he, Ted often showed sympathy for animals who were in cages or otherwise helpless, which she speculated stemmed from his experience in hospital isolation. So you basically have a kid coming in here who before the age of five has already been in, you know, isolation like a prisoner essentially because of his medical condition. Right. As a result is like showing sympathy to these animals. And around that same time, about fifth grade, he was given an IQ test and scored about 167, which is pretty high up there. What's the max? The max? I, I don't. I mean, I don't so think there probably, is a max. Okay. I, I think it just keeps going up. I wonder what normal people are. Normal people are like 110 ish. Like okay, 70 is mental problems bad enough where you're not going to be able to really take care of yourself. Yeah, and I think genius is like 150 and above or something like that. Okay, so I mean, he's pretty smart. Yeah, he's up yeah. there. Like, um, I think Mensa, you have to be, yeah, over 140 is genius, while 100 to 100, 120 to 140 is very superior. So, coming in at 167, like, he's way above all that. Average intelligence is 90 to 110. Okay. So, yeah, he's a smart dude. I'm probably like 89. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'd give you a little bit more credit. <laughs> yeah. You're just kidding. You're just, 88. I don't yeah, know. 87. Yeah, 87. <laughs> um, so, so anyways, he, he took these IQ tests and what they essentially did with it was they were like, hey, you're a super smart boy. Let's skip. Let's get you to skip a grade. And so they shove him from fifth into sixth grade, basically making him the youngest kid by far in the classroom. Yeah. And Kaczynski later described this as one of the pivotal moments in his life. Uh, previously, he had been socializing with his peers and seen as an equal and even considered a leader by some. But after skipping ahead of them, he felt that he didn't fit in at all with these other children who completely bullied him. And his mother recalled that Ted was a shy kid who had become unresponsive if pressured at all in social situations. I, I can kind of empathize with that a little bit because when I was a kid, I was like always the youngest in class because of where my birthday fell. Yeah. And it sucked. Like every kid was older than me by far, you know, and it's it's shitty being like skipped ahead like that, you know? Yeah. Because it removes you from your social situation. And so this kid already 
he has an isolated childhood and then he starts making friends. They pull him out of his friendship circle and shove him into a higher grade where now he's the target of bullies because he's the nerd in the class, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, the fifties weren't a lot different than nowadays with that stuff. Like it's still, it wasn't cool to raise your hand in class in a working class Chicago neighborhood, you know? Sure. Seems smarter than the other kids. They beat you up on your way to the sausage King. Right. You know, (laughs) you're not making it to the sausage factory. Nope. Uh Yeah. So uh, at one point she was so worried about his social development that she actually considered entering him into a study for autistic children led by Bruno Bettenhelm, uh, which this guy is kind of notorious for running this really like harsh study on autistic kids. Yeah. And after meeting him a couple times, she realized that he was kind of a jerk and didn't want to enter her kid into a program with him. Yeah. So she kept him back. And uh, the neighbors that lived around them in Evergreen Park in Chicago later described Kaczynski's family as civic-minded folks, with one even recalling the parents as sacrificing everything they had for their children. Both Ted and David were intelligent, but Ted exceptionally so. Neighbors described him as a smart but lonely individual. So setting up this childhood of, you know, he was alone, like all the time, like even with his family, he was isolated in hospitals. He, his peer groups were taken away from him. Just a crappy childhood, you know, which I think a a lot of people can relate to, you know, in his high school years, he attended Evergreen Park Community High School where he excelled academically. He played the trombone in marching band. It was a member of the mathematics, biology, coin and German clubs. So coin club, big thing back in the day, I guess. I guess. I don't know. Yeah. A former classmate of his said that he was never really seen as a person, as an individual personality. He was always regarded as a walking brain, so to speak. So he was the nerdy picked on kid. And during this period, Kaczynski became intensely interested in mathematics, spending hours studying and solving advanced problems. He became associated with a group of like-minded boys interested in science and mathematics known as the briefcase boys for their penchant for carrying around briefcases, which I don't know. Is that like the trench coat mafia or something? I don't know. It seems like an extremely nerdy thing to do. Like if you were a nerd and yeah. wanted to be extra, this was like, this is like the, yeah. uh, the wood sword carrying fedora trench coat kids. Right. But in the fifties school. Yeah. Cause you know, your parents would carry like their dads would carry briefcases to work and all that stuff. So it wouldn't be yeah. too hard to get a briefcase. But there's no like high school kid running around with a briefcase. So, right. Yeah. I mean, unless now and you're just like trying to do it ironically, or maybe you have a whole bunch of guitar pedals in there. Who knows? That would be cool. That would be cool. <laughs> so, throughout high school, Kaczynski was far ahead of all of his classmates academically by far. He was placed in all of the most uh, advanced classes across the board, and he soon mastered all of the material and even excelled beyond the teachers. So they skipped 11th grade for him and he ended up graduating from his high school at 15 years old. Dang. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. So yeah, yeah, 15, he graduated. I, on the other hand, dropped out of high school at 15. Kaczynski was one of his school's five national merit finalists and was encouraged to apply to Harvard. He entered Harvard on a scholarship in 1958 at 16 years old. Dang. Yeah, seriously. A classmate later said Kaczynski was emotionally unprepared They packed him up and sent him to Harvard before he was ready. He didn't even have a driver's license. And I mean, 
imagine being thrust into Harvard at 16 years old. Like I said before, I dropped out of high school when I was 15 and at 16, I went to a local community college and was way in over my head, like beyond what I should have been doing socially and emotionally for who I was as, as a person. I can't imagine being like dropped into Harvard, you know? Yeah. I mean, I went to state when I was, I went, I, you know, I got through school at the normal amount of time. I graduated right. in the normal amount of time. I went to college at the yeah. normal amount of time, but I don't know. I still almost kind of feel like I was like not prepared for yeah. college. Cause I can remember showing up there and just being like beer and girls and beer <laughs> and more girls. And my parents aren't around and I'm just like freaking out. Like I feel like I spent the first like, three and a half years of college, just like freaking out. And then all of a sudden you were like, and then all of a sudden uh, I graduated. I left. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then all of a sudden I graduated and then I freaked out again for the next like three years while I was graduated being like, Oh right. fuck, I have to make my own money and pay my own bills. Uh, and yeah. shit. Like, I don't know. It was a rough time. Yeah. I feel like I only like just became emotionally mature <laughs> in the last like five years. I feel like maybe you're ahead of the curve because I don't know if I'm there. Yet. Really? So I'm, I'm still working on it. I mean, know? I'm a man child, but at the same time, I'm <laughs> just like, I'm a responsible man child. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I own a house, but I also drive a matchbox car, you know? So it's like, I don't have a car. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. I mean, you know, I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's people talk about like the adulting meme and how hard yeah. it is. And we're being kind of lighthearted with a guy who blew a bunch of people up. But like, That's true. It's okay. You know, the adulting meme, like, yeah, that shit is tough. Last year has been really hard. And I honestly feel like I'm hitting like a COVID wall where I'm just over it. Yeah. And I can't describe how angry I would be right now if I walked into the grocery store and somebody just said to me like, oh, just one mask. I would absolutely lose my shit. I'd hit that person. I, I wouldn't even know how to react. And yeah. It's like, cause I'm so over the top over it and like I'm doing everything I can for myself and my family. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, I mean, I'm just definitely, I was over it six yeah. months ago and at this point I'm just like right. totally defeated by it. Almost. Yeah. You know and there's still I mean? like 3000 people dying every day and it's horror and horror. I know. And, and yeah. I'm just like watching the clock waiting for the vaccine to come. Right. Right. You know? And then even then you still have to wear a mask and do all that stuff. So it's, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. no, I, not to get too far off topic, but I definitely feel the whole adulting thing. Like I couldn't imagine, because if I try and think about where I was when I was 16, you know, and Seriously. all of a sudden being like Harvard in the 50s, or <laughs> this would be the 60s, yeah, I guess, 60s, probably yeah. at this point. Harvard in the 60s, hippie girls and Harvard stuff. Like, I don't know how hard that would be. Like even now, every so often I go to my wife or, you know, once a year at tax time, I just did this to her the other day. She brought me her, you know, W2 from work. And I was like, oh, thanks, babe. This means that it's time for me to get a new file out of the filing cabinet <laughs> and I'm going to write tax 2020 on it. And then I'm going to start making a list of all the different documents I need to do the taxes. And I'm like, hmm, this is, I'm going to be so organized. And then I stop. I'm like, what the fuck? When did I become this person? <laughs> like, oh, I don't man. know. But it took, I mean, I don't know, doing my own taxes for 12 sure. years or whatever yeah. to yeah. all of a sudden be like, oh yeah, maybe I should be organized. But I, like, I couldn't imagine myself, well, not that, you know, Ted Kaczynski is going to do his own taxes at 16, but still it's like, right. to me, that's such a menial adult task now. But like, yeah. or, you know, even going to like school or going to classes to me, I'd just be like, all right, 
You know, I sit through training for work all the time. It's not a big deal. But like, yeah, 16 years old, I'd lose my mind. I'd go crazy. Yeah. I mean, I, I I can't fully relate. I mean, I was when I was 16, I was working full. I was working full time at a heavy machinery yard. I was repairing like cranes and and things like that uh, on a like basically an apprenticeship kind of situation. Yeah. And doing a lot of like car work, like just mechanics on cars and stuff. And then in the evenings, I was going to this community college taking like English 101 and, yeah, you know, you whatever. speak ma- English? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like whatever, whatever math class is below pre-algebra because I was too stupid for pre-algebra. Geometry. I feel like that's above pre-algebra. Oh, wait, is it? Yeah, I feel like I was taking like math for life skills, which was like <laughs> where they like teach you how to, I don't know, push elevator buttons. You know, Balance like it was your like, checkbook. Yeah, no, how it to wasn't count even, change in it reverse. It wasn't even as advanced as finances. It was literally like if you have four grapes oh my God. and your buddy comes over and has two apples. How many grapes do you still have? Can you eat a calzone? Like it was just like it was so bad. What do you come up with? <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> like, all right. All yeah. Right. But like I was also it's I wasn't living on my own, but I was like socialized enough where I had my own car. I was out there, I was doing my own stuff. Yeah. I wasn't going to parties, but I was like hanging out with some people that I was friends with. Sure. Older like, people. So Kaczynski, on the other hand, back to Harvard. All right. When he started at Harvard, apparently Harvard had a special place where they put these tiny little nerds that were just coming in at 16 years old. Okay. Called, uh, not called, the ad- the address was 8 Prescott Avenue. And so... They didn't put them with the co-eds? No, they didn't want to like give these little guys access to like the bigger world. So what they did was they sheltered them. So once again, Kaczynski's put in isolation from the whole world. Oh, wow. And he's shoved into this little house with two other... You know, tiny super little sixteen-year-old nerds. Okay, and they're all super nerds who aren't talking to each other, and you know, not having a good time because, you know, super nerd life. And so, you know, they're not experiencing any of the any of the outside world. And they even labeled the place as accommodations for the vo- most vulnerable incoming students. So I wouldn't be surprised if there were like, you know, one or two special needs people there, and then you know, it was just this situation where he wasn't given access to like the bigger world. So he would go there, go to class, go back home, you know, and they were completely pampered. Like everything they needed was taken care of because, you know, Harvard promised their parents they would take care of them. Right. So they're like minors living on campus, literally minors, you know, so you can't, you can't like toss a 16 year old into a dorm. Like they'll be on MDMA running naked down a hall in 30 (laughs) seconds. You know, you can't like, you just can't do that. They'll you know? lose their virginity at some point in the next 19 years. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> Staying in the dorm. <laughs> right, right. So he was there doing that stuff. And like at some point during this whole thing, he got connected with this absolute garbage human being uh, named Henry Murray, who was a Harvard psychologist. He, he ran a program there. His second year at Harvard, so he was 17 at this point, so almost kind of an adult and could have almost gone to war or vote, you know? He was getting close. Yeah, he's just like, he's still a baby, you know? Yeah. So he literally gets dropped into the lap of this awful human being named Henry Miller who is running a... Murray. Murray? Right. What did I say? Miller. Oh, Henry Murray. Yeah. Did I say Murray before? 
You said Miller before. Oh, Henry. Oh, I was thinking Henry Miller, the author. Yeah. Because I, <laughs> I, I love him. But anyways, Henry Murray, not Henry Miller, the, the excellent author, but Henry Murray, the garbage human being who is running a psychology experiment at Harvard, was working directly with the CIA and doing actual MK Ultra experiments on students at Harvard. I feel like of all of the colleges to go and become the subject of an MK Ultra experiment, that probably wasn't on the brochure no. for Harvard. No. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean it's <laughs> like, it's it's baffling. It's it's really bizarre that like out of all the places Kaczynski could have wound up, he wound up in the lap of this dude who worked partially with the CIA and ran this like experiment, you know? These the subjects of this, mostly freshmen and sophomores at Harvard, were told that they would soon this this is how the the experiment was laid out. This is the official okay. kind of what it is. All right, all right. They were told that they would soon be debating personal philosophy with a fellow student, and they were asked to write essays detailing all of their personal beliefs and personal aspirations. So I believe people should be allowed to walk their dogs wherever they want and marry whoever they want. And these are my beliefs, blah, blah, blah. You know, so in my aspirations, I want to be a writer and I want to do this and I want to do that. These 17, 18, 19 year olds were asked to write down all of this stuff under the guise that they would soon be debating one of their peers. And they thought this was an exercise in getting all their thoughts in order. Instead, what happened was piece of shit, Murray took these essays and handed them over to a lawyer working with the program. The lawyer took the, took the essays, read them, and then went in and confronted the subjects and basically spent hours upon hours belittling these subjects and calling them out for all of their beliefs. Like, oh, you think that you should be able to just go to the grocery store and buy kumquats? No, you shouldn't. Like that was what this guy was doing. But it was <laughs> probably more much like, more severe than that. Yeah, of course. Like like you think gay people should get married? Don't you understand what that means? And like he was going after them for like all of their deepest personal beliefs that they were asked to write down and kind of confess to on this paperwork. Right. Murray himself called these vehement, sweeping, and personally abusive attacks. That's what he described them as in his own uh, in his own paperwork. And they use the content of these essays as ammunition to literally tear down these students. I don't know about you, but I was a complete moron my freshman year of college. And like, if yeah. I had to write down my personal beliefs, it would just be like, I don't know, boobs and beer and and please burgers. And like, I would just be writing stupid stuff. And like, that's the same thing I would have said, except yeah. like pokey sticks. Right. And the lawyer <laughs> would, the lawyer would come back to me and just make me feel like an idiot. And I'm sure you like, like beer. What are you an alcoholic? Right. You like boobs. Are you a sex addict? Right. And I it was, was probably stuff like that. Like I would probably you know. listen to it once, walk away and never come back because yeah. I had, the, I, I had the basically like personal awareness of myself where I was like, F anybody who's kind of being mean to me, even though it backfired a lot and I would just walk away from any personal criticism in my life. Sure. But <laughs> Kaczynski didn't have that. He he had been in isolation his whole life and like he was just there. He's like, oh, I guess I'm supposed to do this psychological study. Yeah, plus it's like imagine, you know, basically having gone through this timeline more or less uh, that we've laid out for him. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you are being very severely challenged by yeah. authority. Literal authority figures that at, he doesn't know. Yeah. Right, at like what? 
one of the greatest quote unquote Ivy universities yeah. in the world. And these are professional CIA people essentially. Yeah. I, I mean, mean think dude it, stands no chance. Yeah. I mean, think of it like, uh, you know, if you're like a 18 year old actress who strolls into Los Angeles and there, here comes Harvey Weinstein, who's like, Hey, you know, sleep with me and you'll get this role. And obviously like, you're like, I want to be part of Hollywood. So I guess I'm going to sleep with this guy to get this role. And you know, here's this 17 year old baby in an experiment with a guy who's just ripping him apart. And he's like, I guess I'm at Harvard doing mathematics on a level higher than most professors. So maybe this is just part of it. Right. The second part of the experiment was they stick electrodes to the side of these students ears and heads and stuff, and then videotape them getting bashed by this lawyer for hours on end. And they just videotape their cringe faces, like them just kind of like uh, hating themselves. And like, you know, it's just like yeah. the watch people die subreddit over and over again. What? And, oh, there's a subreddit called like watch people die inside or something. And it's like when somebody finds out something horrible happens and you just see their face like fall. It's not somebody actually dying. Oh, okay. I was like, what? No, no, no. They you just, said the watch people die subreddit. And I was like, no, this is just what are like, you into <laughs> dark stuff. No, this is just like voyeurism. Somebody tells somebody else off and they, it just shows them like put their head down to look sad. Oh, okay. So this entire experiment was one them writing down all their beliefs Two, some dickhead lawyer coming back in the room and belittling them based on their entire beliefs that they confessed to the guy in the first place. And the third part is them getting videotaped getting you know, shit on for all this stuff. And then they have to sit and watch themselves for hours, get shit on replaying the entire experience in their head. Yeah. Kaczynski went back once a week for three years to undergo this. He spent 200 hours being brutalized by these people. What the three <laughs> years, once a week, 200 hours. Holy shit. Apparently the same lawyer and this Henry Murray garbage guy, just tore him down for three years straight. And he went back every week and was like, yes, sir. May I have another and other people dropped out constantly. It was swapped out, but no, he stuck with it. He kept going back. You know? Wow. I wonder if he was the only one. I don't know. I mean, I could fully see a world where there were a couple people like like two or three. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, it, when, I, when yeah. I was 17, I went to Palm Beach Community College. And if I was at Palm Beach Community College and some dude came up and started telling me I was garbage for not liking something I like, I would walk away so fast the door would slam. You know, it, it, would, <laughs> it would take me an eighth of a second to walk out of that place. Yeah. But if I'm at Harvard and I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Th this is how it's going to happen. You know, like, yeah, I have to I, sit here. Yeah. And I mean, when I played ice hockey at state, I mean, I don't know a good way to say this. I got hazed. Sure. Yeah. And like, guess like what? big fraternities and stuff too. Yeah. Uh, my fraternity did not haze. So I can say that. Yeah. I was in a fraternity that did not haze. Yeah. But we knew about other fraternities that did. And we had so friends common. in those fraternities and we heard all about it. I remember little short aside. I remember there being, have you ever been to uh, Cornell or Ithaca College? I've been to Ithaca. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's where Cornell is and that's where Ithaca College are there. And, okay. and so if you've ever been to this town, um, 
It's crazy. It's way back up in the New York mountains. Yeah. And basically right through the middle of this town. I don't know of another way to say it. It's basically a fjord. Yeah. Like it's like a four or 500 foot straight drop sheer cliffs down to this like river. Yeah. Yeah. Bank. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I can't remember if this was at Ithaca or if it was at Cornell. I don't remember. And I don't remember what fraternity this was, but essentially what happened is around the like fjord thing, some of the fraternity houses back up to it and between okay. the houses and the edge of the cliff, essentially it's like two or three fences, high ones. Uh, to kind of keep people from, you know, multiple layers of defense to keep them away from sure. the fjord thing or whatever. And there was some hazing thing going on with with a fraternity oh, no. and some kid climbed over all the fences. Oh, no. There's, I don't remember if it was two or three or how many there were. There's more than one. He climbed over multiple fences and fell oh. to his death in the fjord, basically. That's awful. And it's and like I just remember hearing stories about hazing yeah. and the people like it makes you come back like yeah. you keep coming back because it's like this like psychologically there's this like time invested Absolutely. theory and I can't remember what it is it's like no, you I know can't you get yeah. out of something because you feel like you're too far in or you feel like right. you're in debt against it. That's you how I feel about I mean? my Miata right now. That's how I feel about coronavirus. Yeah. Every time I think yeah. about it, I'm like, well, we're further in, you know, we have yeah. less to go than we have left. I've been saying yep. that for a year. You know what I mean? Theoretically. Theoretically. Um, and like, I could see that being the same thing here. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, this isn't hazing. Right. But you're invested. You know? But like, you I know? mean, I got hazed by the hockey team. Why did I keep playing? Like, I yeah. legitimately don't well, know. Well, you wanted to play. Like, that was a thing. Like, right. You know? Yeah. So I guess here it's like, I mean, we can't know why. He kept going back, but right. like based on his and age, he wouldn't talk about it, right? Know? Yeah, I mean, and that makes complete sense too. But you know, based on his age and the situation and who these people were and stuff like that, imagine psychologically volunteering essentially to go through this whole process. But it's like, did he really have a choice? You know what I mean? Right? Like, I don't. I like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, so, it, you know, Kaczynski and his manifesto and throughout his life, and, you know, he's also written thousands of letters to different people, like writers for magazines and stuff. He carries on, like, a 20-year letter-writing campaign with these different reporters and stuff. So, yeah, he has a, there's a lot of stuff he's written out there. He carries on these letter-writing campaigns, and one of the things that his lawyer said and that he shared with some other people was that, they were saying that his feelings and his hostility towards mind control techniques and towards like um, information technology and industrialization of society, a lot of the reasons that he has those very hostile and aggressive feelings towards that stuff could have and probably did come from his experience in Murray's MK Ultra study, you know? Yeah. I it's, mean, that makes sense to me. Yeah. You know? And, you know, MK Ultra gets kind of like, poo-pooed by a lot of people as this like funny thing that's a conspiracy theory but like yeah, isn't it like the men who stare at goats thing they're like let's do mdma and see if we can yes. mind control goats and stuff so i mean that's a loose interpretation but yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> something like that <laughs> yeah um i i don't think i would personally want to do mdma with goats but yeah i mean it's like there's a lot of that where they had these different programs where they were um, testing drugs in these different programs to do mind control. You know, it's it's a very real real CIA program that's going on, and we have the names. and In a future episode, we're going to dive into this a lot because I I just recently started filling a document full of all this stuff, 
and we have the names of the researchers and like the people who died during this and, and all this different stuff. We know that now. Yeah. You know, researchers spent decades attempting to perfect mind control techniques that range from trying to replace someone's memories to completely wiping their mind entirely so they can implant a new personality or a new kind of identity into this person. So the experiments were, were trying to either brain replace people like where they would take you break down your brain entirely and then put a whole new person like now you're bob and you're just bob now and that's what happens i don't want to be bob you're bob now that's just how it works (laughs) all right i guess i'm bob or they would grab you away and take away your last three years of life and let you loose with a new three years of experience or something, you know? Yeah. And I mean, we've seen this all through pop culture. It's in movies, it's in comics, it's in so books. All yeah. Yeah. Jason Bourne is like a really great example of that with the Operation Treadstone and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think they specifically say MK Ultra in that, don't they? Like, I don't know. I didn't read the books, but yeah. I'm, well, I mean, but yeah. So we've seen this trope or whatever all through pop culture, but this is where it comes from, essentially. Like 100%. this and like there's Nazi research, supernatural type stuff that they did. Russians have done similar type stuff. Yeah. But like... 100%. Um, yeah, but in America, a lot of our, you know, we can wipe your brain and make you into yeah. somebody else, turn you into a super soldier. Like this is kind of where that whole deal starts. This is 100% where it originated. So some of the earliest studies from the early 60s, uh, late 50s, when they were just starting to experiment with LSD. And so what they were... That's what it was. Do LSD and try and do mind control on goats. Right. Or whatever. Yes. That's kind of the... Yes, they're they're close. It's two different programs, but but what you're saying, both those things are true. Okay. Uh, That was called Operation Stargate. That was an entirely different thing. Stargate? Yeah. It's a real movie with... Yeah, 100%. But they didn't go to like ancient Egyptian aliens or whatever. Okay. They were just trying to kill goats with their brain. That's sad. the furthest along it got was a lady stopped a frog's heart with her mind. Oh shit. Yeah. It was like a real thing. Um, we'll talk about that too. And, uh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. It's, it's actually a really cool program. Um, but people died per usual. And so, uh, so according to government documents, so I was going through a lot of this stuff around MK ultra while we were starting to research this whole thing. And when I realized we're gonna have to do a whole nother episode on that because it goes just too deep and, one of the experiments I read about, it was the first one I came across. There were these government documents that unfolded and basically said that there was an experiment conducted on inmates of a prison where what they did was they would put helmets on the inmates that would like block their vision. And then there was like headsets, um, you know, it's like big headphones, big headphones, basically locked onto the, but it was all bolted to their head. Like, okay. They couldn't get away from it. They would bolt all this crap to their head and then just feed them like 50 times the normal amount of LSD. I mean, not that there's a normal amount of LSD you take, but a safe dose. They were, they were overdoing it incredibly high. Okay. They were going to have a bad time. I mean, obviously, yeah. And so <laughs> through the headphones, they pumped sayings, you know, someone talking over and over again. And it would say things like, your mother never loved you you are a piece of garbage. Everyone hates you. And it was just those sayings over and over and over again for hundreds of hours straight. And they would just basically lock them in a room and feed them nothing but like LSD and water and just to just put them through this, torture these people. You know, and these were, these were inmates in a prison on death row or whatever, and they would just, oh, you know, they're prisoners. It's fine. 
And so these people would go through this and experience this. And after months of undergoing this, you know, weeks at a time, uh, they would unbolt the helmets from their head and these people would just basically not be able to feed themselves anymore. They would not be able to experience life. They couldn't like walk down the street. Their brains were completely mush, like just nullified. Wow. And it isn't, this isn't like if you do seven hits of acid, you're going to go crazy because I've done lots of hits of acid when I was growing up. It's, it's that has nothing to do with it. <laughs> this is like actual torment from like, if you ever saw like the Mel Gibson conspiracy theory movie yeah, where they pried his eyes back, dropped LSD in his eyeballs and made him watch like cartoons and stuff like, yeah, this is the stuff that is literally designed to break your brain. And what they thought was they could break your brain in a way that would mess up your memory and destroy your memory. And it took them decades to figure out, well, no, we can't actually do that. But they spent 35 years dosing people with huge amounts of LSD. And the guy who ran the whole program 35 years into it later was like, that was just a waste of time. He just blows it off. Like thousands of people were dosed and their, their entire lives were destroyed and a bunch of them died. And they just blow it off. as like, eh, we weren't able to do our goal. You know, sick, right? Exactly. I mean, this is not the same thing as "Hey, babe, I couldn't get the right kind of <laughs> cookies from the grocery store." Right? Sorry. Yeah. All oh, these wraps are gluten free. Oops. I apologize. I know. Yeah. I mean, I've had to have that conversation. Hey, babe, your gluten free Ritz uh, peanut butter sandwiches were right. at the grocery store. Oh, they're Lance, but you and, know, your gluten free Lance peanut butter cracker <laughs> yeah. sandwiches weren't at the grocery store. Sorry. Right. And so, I mean, I would not be surprised if from reading some of these experiments, if they were doing these same things and dosing Ted Kaczynski with LSD because they were just throwing this stuff into people's mouths left and right willy-nilly. Yeah. I mean, I it's not like they didn't have enough. No, I mean, they, they literally had CIA safe houses pumping this stuff out by the gallons, you know? And so... I Imagine working for the CIA and your job is to make LSD. You know that you know how that happens is like you're just a dude making LSD for like Woodstock and, <laughs> and, and your dumbass gets caught at a red light with a bucket full of LSD and then they take you to a prison and all of a sudden like you're at Langley making LSD for the CIA because you don't want to spend the next 50 years in prison. You yeah, know? you're the um, what's his name? Uh, Oh, Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad? No, I was oh. thinking, I can't remember his first name right now. Something Abagnale Jr., the guy who did the check writing. Frog. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Was that the Leonardo DiCaprio movie? Yeah. yeah. Catch yeah. me if you can, yeah. Yeah, you get busted, and then all of a sudden... And then like, he goes to work for the FBI for like 40 years. They own being your life. There for, being their like check fraud guy. I, I would be Would you absolutely- be the LSD-making guy? <laughs> I would just say, I, I'm just saying, I would be absolutely shocked if they didn't have hundreds of these guys on their payroll today. You know? Probably. I mean, in the 90s. Well, I they, bet they don't pay them. They just don't put them in jail. Right. I mean, yeah, exactly. You get like an they EBT probably, card. <laughs> right, right. With enough for groceries, they pay your rent. We will pick you up. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. we will drop you off. And we're not going to shoot you in the eyeball unless you fill this bucket with LSD every Tuesday. And don't take any of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, cause they were probably doing the same thing with crack in the nineties. Like, I mean, I can't imagine that they weren't, you know, I mean, there was so oh, much, for sure. They were, they were pumping. I mean, there's evidence. Every CIA. big drug they've 
exactly, done that with, yeah. incriminated people with it, framed people with it. Yeah. They, they do that shit. Right. It's, it's horrifying. But anyways, so at the end of the day, Kaczynski came out and actually said that he fully resented Murray and his coworkers primarily because of the invasion of his personal privacy that he perceived as a result of their experiments. And then he also said that he was quite confident that my experience with Professor Murray had no significant effect on the course of my life. But I think he's full of shit on that. I mean, honestly, like I can't imagine being a 17 year old, even if LSD wasn't involved, having some dude write down all of your personal issues and then yell them back in your face and make you feel like crap about it. At 17, that's going to have an effect on you. you Yeah. And then film you and then show you the (laughs) films and then, yeah, Yeah. just like how mentally degrading, you know, and taxing it would have had to be, you know, right. I have a hard time believing as well that it had no effect. Right. You know, that just doesn't seem to, you know, Right. And then because it had no effect, he uh, he upped and moved to a remote cabin in the middle of nowhere that he and his brother Ham built, you know, a couple of years later. Yeah. And, so, I, and uh, I want to say I heard <laughs> um, somewhere that the cabin was like perfectly mathematically perfect oh, in some way. I didn't see that anywhere, but yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. It was like somehow it was designed to be the dimensions of it. Okay. Like perfectly mathematic. That'd be in that's interesting. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the guy was a mathematical genius. You know? Yeah. So it's the things that he, his basic papers that came out, like that he was working on math stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's I haven't read them because I'm too stupid. But like, I think most people are too stupid. Yeah. These are the kind of papers that's like you write them, and there's like two <laughs> other people. Right. Who You're are like debating with someone else in academia. Yeah. You know, but from what I read, they were interesting. So, you know, <laughs> I tried reading one of them. From I what I know stupid. about one apple plus two apples right. equals three apples. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know I can get a calzone. I heard they money. were, uh, yeah. you know, page turners. <laughs> right, right. So anyways, because of not because of his experience at Harvard, you know, he went on to teach. And then, um, yeah, in 1971, he just decided F the world and uh, dropped out of existence. So he went to Lincoln, Montana, which is literally uh, BFE, and he decided he wanted to live a simple life with no money, electricity, or running water. Uh, He decided that he could make a few dollars here and there doing odd jobs, and he got a couple bucks from his family, but otherwise he just survived and read a lot. And his original goal was to become self-sufficient so that he could live completely autonomously out there in BFE. And he taught himself survival skills such as tracking game, edible plant identification, and organic farming. He used an old bicycle to get to town, and and a volunteer at the local library said that Kaczynski visited frequently to read classic works in their original languages, and locals found that strange. So, cause it, I mean, they probably found it strange because it's Lincoln, Montana, you know, and there's not other people reading like ancient Greek and stuff. Actually, just looked up where this is, and I've been near here. Oh, really? How close? Um, pretty close. <laughs> pretty close. <laughs> not not super close. So, Lincoln, Montana, is mm, it's on like the western western third of the state. 
It's almost, but not quite, directly south of Glacier. It backs right up to the very bottom of Flathead National Forest oh, and Helena yeah. Lewis and Clark National Forest. Yep. So it's like just north of, of but just east of Missoula. It's firmly the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it, it's pretty, yeah. And he wasn't in Lincoln. He was, I think he was, I think it said it was 80 miles north or 80 miles south of there. Oh, okay. So, f- all right. Further nowhere. Even more further nowhere than that. All right. Yeah. I have never been anywhere close to, to that. The closest I have been to that location is Seattle, maybe. Okay. Maybe Vegas. Yeah. See, I went to Glacier for over a week a couple years ago. That's a cool spot. But trying to get from, and I can't even remember where you fly in, maybe Missoula. It's like four hours or some shit even. It's like it's hard to tell uh, looking yeah. at this map just how far that is. It's far as shit. Like just yeah, getting it's, it's nowhere. up there. Maybe not. Maybe we flew. Okay, so the closest the closest I've been is Cheyenne, Wyoming. Okay. And that's 780 miles. Oh, wow. That's the closest I've been to that spot. Okay. Yeah. So this is 2000 miles from here. And yeah, <laughs> yeah I just imagine like if like Missoula is probably one of the bigger cities, it's probably two hours east of there just to get to Lincoln. That's another 80 miles and another hour and a half either That's north crazy. or south of there. So far as so shit far. out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, yeah, well, if you've never been to Glacier, go. It's dope, but be ready to drive far as fuck. There's yeah. a really, really great bourbon spot. Cool. Right okay. outside of the west entrance to Glacier National Park called Glacier Distillery. Okay. Fun Do fact. they use the glacier water for the... I, I don't know. Oh, they should. I just know that the bourbon's good as shit. And um, Montana, oddly enough, has really weird laws about exporting liquor. So you can't I'm get shocked. it here. You can only go there and buy it in person and bring it home. It's <laughs> I'm stupid. Shocked. I'm shocked a small <laughs> state in the middle of nowhere has weird liquor laws. I know. It's stupid. But um, yeah, that spot's really good. And the guy who owns it is actually from here. He's from Apex. Oh, okay. Which is really cool. Cool. All right. Anyway. So coming back. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, he wanted to become self-sufficient while reading like, you know, original Greek poetry and stuff. Cool. Uh, his cabin was described by a census taker. So a census taker managed to get out to his cabin in the middle of nowhere in 1990 and described it as small, containing a bed, two chairs, a storage trunk, a gas stove, and lots and lots of books. Cool. Yeah. All he needs is a cat and he'd be set. I don't know if your cat would do well out there. I mean, it's just like a, I, I don't, don't know. I mean, not your cat, but like a cat. Well, imagine having a litter box in that little thing. Uh, no, you would have to have an outdoor cat. It's yeah. the only acceptable thing. <laughs> probably. <laughs> you could probably do a dog because a dog could like maybe be in and out and yeah. do his own thing. So anyways, Kaczynski decided at some point while out there in the middle of nowhere that it was impossible to live peacefully in nature because of the destruction of the wildland around his cabin by real estate development and industrial projects. And I can't imagine that there were that many real estate development and industrial projects. So his tolerance for that sort of thing was probably very low. In response, he began performing acts of sabotage against nearby developments in 1975, and he dedicated himself to reading about sociology and political philosophy, such as the works of Jacques Ullul, which highly inspired his manifesto. In an interview after his arrest, he recalled being shocked on a hike one day to find his favorite wild spot. 
He said, quote unquote, this is Kaczynski talking. It's kind of this rolling country, not flat. And when you get to the edge of it, you find these ravines that cut very steeply into cliff-like drop-offs. And there was even a waterfall there. It was about a two days hike from my cabin. That was the best spot until the summer of 1983. That summer, there were too many people around my cabin. So I decided I needed some peace. I went back to that plateau. And when I got there, I found they had put a road right through the middle of it. You can't imagine how upset I was. It was from that point on, I decided that rather than trying to acquire further wilderness skills, I would work on getting back at the system. So his revenge arc has begun, basically. I guess they shouldn't have put that road in. I mean, that's people are dead because of that road. It's true. Uh, In that interview, he also described his loss of faith in any potential for reform of the system. He decided that the quote-unquote human tendency to take the path of least resistance meant that violent collapse of the system was the only way to bring down the industrial technology structure. Basically, humanity was too far lost, and he didn't want to bother trying to reform anyone. He didn't want to bother changing the system from the inside. It was time to blow shit up. Seems logical. Yeah. Uh, In 1998, this is uh, after he was caught, he wrote a letter to Alton Chase, who was a writer for The Atlantic, who had a back and forth with him. And uh, Kaczynski said in that, I suspect that you underestimate the strength and depth of feeling against the industrial civilization that has been developing in recent years. I've been surprised at some of the things that people have written to me. It looks to me as if our society is moving into a pre-revolutionary situation. By that, I don't mean a situation in which revolution is inevitable, but one in which it is a realistic possibility. The majority of people are pessimistic or cynical about existing institutions. There is widespread alienation and directionlessness among young people. Perhaps all that is needed is to give these forces appropriate organization and direction. So saying that everybody's upset, he sees that this is some sort of oncoming storm and he feels that it's his job to organize and direct people's anger towards quote unquote, the system. Right. He's not saying that the ship has sailed. He's saying that there is a very real possibility now that a revolution could happen under the right circumstances or given the right, chain of events moving forward oh yeah yeah he 100 percent seems himself sees himself as the match head that's going to start this fire yeah which is interesting because you know when you look at timothy mcveigh who blew up the oklahoma uh oklahoma city building yeah he thought that he was going to start a race war with that you know he he had read the turner diaries which is this really horrible racist publication and his thoughts were that if he blew this up, people would follow along and start go, blowing more stuff up. Go to the streets and just take over. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of other people that felt that way. You know, the guy who went to Comet Ping Pong with an AR 15 and thought he was going to uncover Pizzagate, thought that him walking in there with a gun and firing off rounds was going to make everyone rise up and take over. You know? I don't think it was an AR. No. No, I'm pretty sure it was a handgun. Was it? Yeah. We'll have to look it up. I I think it was. We'll look it up. Because that's a dude who was from here. Yeah, yeah. He was from down here. Yeah. I know he had a handgun. The guy who was from Salisbury. Yeah. yeah. Salisbury. 
Yeah. yeah. I want to, I, I think when they caught her, cause they like tackled him in the street. Yeah. I don't think he had an AR. All right. You Google it. I'll keep talking. All I'll right. Back. All right. What was that dude's name? I don't remember. Oh, okay. A uh, guy with a gun. <laughs> so anyways, Kaczynski's out in the woods and he is once again, isolated, uh, which is basically a story of his whole life. And he decides that he wants to write a manifesto and he puts together a 35,000 word writing that blames technology for destroying human scale communities. He wrote that the industrial revolution harmed the human race by developing into a socio-political order that subjugates human needs beneath its own. The system destroys nature and suppresses individual freedoms. He says humans adapt to machines instead of the machines being used for our needs, resulting in a society hostile to human potential. Essentially the uh, Terminator scenario where we're building up AI so fast and so large that it eventually takes over and kills all of us. Kaczynski credits technological progress with the destruction of small human communities, communes, and the rise of uninhabitable cities controlled by an unaccountable state. He says pursuit of relentless tech progress will not end on its own and will appear to be for the greater good. Modern society defends this position. He says you become part of the system or you're vilified and pushed away from it. He predicted the rise of police powers, mind-numbing mass media, a.k.a. social media, and widespread drug use among people. Combining elements of the political left and right, he criticizes both big government and big business slash big tech as the inevitable result of mass industrialization. Kaczynski holds scientists and quote-unquote technophiles responsible for recklessly pursuing power through technological advancement. Again, kind of the Terminator scenario. So what does that look like today? But first, what kind of gun did he have? You were right. It was an AR-15, wasn't it? The, well, they say military-style assault rifle uh, I mean, in the news. And a revolver, apparently. I mean, an AK-47 could be a military-style assault rifle. Sure. Yeah, but I feel like it was an AR. Because he fired a two two three round. I remember that. Did he? Yeah, into the cash register. Oh, all right. Um, so anyways, what does this look oh, yeah. like today? An AK round would have penetrated. Oh, yeah. 760 by 39? That would have gone straight through that fucking <laughs> cash register. <laughs> and somebody's <laughs> hip on the other side. Probably. So he argued that industrialized systems collapse uh, will be devastating and that quickening this collapse will help society as a whole to get over it quicker. He justifies the trade-offs that come with losing industrial society as being worth the overall cost, saying that you know, the system's going to collapse eventually. So let's hurry this up along and make it happen faster because once we pull off the Band-Aid, you know, we can rebuild quicker. Yeah. So basically, it'll be easier for us to get away from all of this technology if we do it before essentially we're hooked, which, yeah, I mean, a very, I mean, I'm not agreeing with, the Unabomber, but I'm not not agreeing with him. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's hard to talk about this kind of stuff because it's like he makes some really, really good points. He does. But we have to remember in the back of our heads, yeah, this dude killed people with bombs. He right. was fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, it's like if you think about this particular statement and we fast forward to now to 2021, you know, and we even think about the stuff that we've talked about on this show, yeah. you know, 
I mean, the fingers of technology are wrapped entirely around us now. And at this time, he was writing this in what, the 90s? Uh, yeah. This before phone, before 90s, everybody yeah. had a phone, before the internet got yeah. big, before Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and everything had its yeah. clutches, before we had young girls committing suicide because yeah. of social media, before internet bullying, before before all every of that. Yeah. all of this stuff. Yeah. There is no more chance. Right. That there we can get away from this shit. Yeah. Not anymore. Yeah. And I mean it, yeah, exactly. And I think now we're already past I think we're way past what Kaczynski would have considered his tipping point, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, I think we moved beyond that like in 2008, you know, like I, before once, that probably even. Yeah. I mean, five. Yeah. I mean, once Instagram was endemic and just like inside all of our palms, I think, yeah, that, I think that was, he already considered that his worst case scenario, you know? Yeah. I mean, and so he says his ideal revolution seeks not to overthrow a government, but the economic and technological foundation of modern society. He seeks to destroy existing society and protect the wilderness, the antithesis of technology. So basically, he wanted a lot of us to, not a lot of us, all of us to go back out to the woods, re-examine communes, return to a, a slower pace of life which you know even in the even in our early social media mental health uh, episodes we talked about how important it is to turn off and get back out there which you know it begs a question is there a way you can quote unquote have both you know can you have a place where you can go out turn off relax reset but still have this kind of overwhelming industrial society breathing down your neck 24 7 where does that, where is that tipping point for, you know, standard people from normal people? Yeah. I mean, so, I, I really don't know. Like, yeah, you know, there's only when your entire life is basically surrounded in this being on the computer, being on your phone, pumping the shit at you all the time, 24 yeah. hour news media, the continual Facebook feed, doom scrolling, you know, all this stuff. I mean, y- you could, how much time would you have to spend away? You right. know what I mean? And the whole time you're away, the whole rest of the world's still getting pumped. Yeah, it's still going. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, you know, what do you do? Take your two weeks a year and and turn off, you know? Yeah. And I mean, most people, when they go to go on vacation or whatever it is that they do, they don't turn off. No. They just get away from home. Right, exactly. And you know? that just creates a different kind of anxiety, you know? Like, right. Like, Today is what's the holiday today that was supposed to be President's Day? President's Day, yeah. And I had coworkers messaging me all. We were supposed to have the day off, but it turned into working all day anyways, because all of the coworkers were like, "What's going on? What are we supposed to be doing?" And the slight pause that we were supposed to take turned into having to double down and get ready and use the slowdown time so that we weren't losing ground moving into the rest of the week. It's like, what's the point of holidays then? Like, what are we doing here? Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, I don't get any days off, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, if there's a national holiday, that's not a... You don't get nights off. So national <laughs> holiday. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We don't get off. So, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I just don't know. Like, I mean, I even, you know, Canada has a holiday today. Yeah. There's a number of companies that I, I work with 
um, that had today off. And I mean, I still got them to do stuff for me. Yeah. You know, I sent them emails asking them for stuff and guess what? They <laughs> responded. Our, our dev team is in the EU and I think they're pulling fast ones on us a lot of times because like once a week they're like, oh yeah, Thursday is a holiday and they just all vanish. Yeah. It's, like, it's like Tuesday is a bank holiday. They're just God. Bank like, holiday. Yeah. <laughs> just constant. They have like 50 bank holidays a year. Oh man, that sounds nice. Right. But yeah, it was just crazy to me. Like people don't unplug even when you're supposed to. No. You don't. know. So anyways, let's get back into into what he says about old Teddy boy. (laughs) Good old Teddy boy. (laughs) Uh, So industrial society and its future, which is the name of his manifesto, begins with Kaczynski's assertion that the industrial revolution and its consequences have been a complete disaster for the human race. He writes that technology has had a destabilizing effect on society, which I kind of agree with has made life unfulfilling, which I kind of agree with, and has caused widespread psychological suffering, which we have shown evidence of on this show. Yep. I mean, flat out. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Like, what he says right there is correct. Yeah, I mean, there's not a single single thing that you just said that I am not like, yep, yep, yep. Checkbox, correct. Um, But he still blew people up. (laughs) <laughs> so that's true. so there's that I feel like we don't have to add that in every time but it, like it's, I know it's we're implied. just gonna blanket statement yeah blanket if statement. we agree yeah. we're not agreeing with the right. blowing people up we're right. agreeing with these words right exactly so like just being a vegan doesn't mean you like Hitler because he was a vegan too it's, <laughs> it's like, okay. yes Kaczynski argues that most people spend their time engaged in useless pursuits because of technological advances he calls these quote-unquote surrogate activities wherein people strive towards artificial goals, including scientific work, consumption of entertainment, political activism, and following sports teams. Barf. All of this was said before social media. You know, I mean, but obviously yeah. you could do all that stuff before social media, but like... I feel like it was so much harder, though. You had to, like, get the newspaper or watch the game on the... Yeah. On the, on the I mean, CRT many, TV and, yeah. or read about it on the news after, listen to it on the radio or whatever. I was going to say, how many apps are there just for sports? One for every league. And then there's one for every TV channel. And there has to be one for every team and like one for all these other, like, yeah, I don't know that there's a Carolina Hurricanes app. There probably is just to get their merch. There's probably like something. Maybe. I don't know. Pre-social media, he basically said too many people spend time staring at their well, even TV pre phones. 24 hour news media. <laughs> yeah. This exactly. is before 9 11. So we're yeah. talking about even before the, right. the, the Yahoo scroller yeah, and all, like that stuff. Y2K, like, all that stuff. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. He says that the, uh, the erosion of human freedom is a natural product of an industrial society because the system has to regulate human behavior closely in order to function. And that reform of the system is impossible as drastic changes to it would not be implemented because of the disruption of the system. As you were saying when we first started. That's right. I I was reading through some of these notes prepping for the show. And after I read this particular note, I was like, this is exactly like the Wall Street bets thing that just happened. Yeah. The whole uh, BlackBerry, Nokia, GameStop, AMC thing. Right. You know, and I don't know if you guys followed that any. I followed it loosely but I really started following it after especially the GameStop thing happened because so for anybody who doesn't know or didn't follow this, basically there is a subreddit on Reddit called Wall Street Bets and there's people on there who claim to be uh, 
not insiders, but work in Wall Street or are financial analysts or something and had some sort of, and know stuff about how stock works. And the whole goal was to basically crowdsource stock stuff. Right. To where like information, you know, we don't have hundreds of millions of dollars individually like these uh, stock people have and like the trust fund have and all, all of this stuff. See, I don't even know all the technical words for it. Yeah. But if you get, you know, a hundred million people to go out and buy two or three or ten two dollar stocks, even a thousand people. Yeah. Yeah. You can drive the price up on a stock and then the way that that works is somebody has to pay out all those stock funds after it goes up and it basically drains these trust fund accounts or wherever this money comes from. Because they were betting from. on them to lose. Yeah. Right. And when that happened with GameStop, because their their share prices were like $2 or $5 Very low, yeah. or something. It was pretty low. And I think they topped out at... Three hundred and ninety something dollars, or something like that. Yeah, it's like fifty today, or something in there. Yeah, yeah. and there's people who bought thousands of dollars of stocks when they were two dollars, and then turned around and yeah, you know, made. There's also thousands of people who bought it at two hundred. Yeah, and then kept it until it was fifty. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I mean, so yeah, I mean, it goes both ways. But essentially, what happened is once the stock price went up, right? The basically the 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 machine stepped in. And stopped this. Right. The machine being the system, essentially. Right. Like, not like an AI. The rich people. Yeah, exactly. The government. Yeah. They stepped in and stopped it. They suspended trading. Yeah. And Um, the Robinhood app cut off trading. Yeah. Yeah. Places like the Robinhood app, what they did is they short sold all of their stock options. So, and basically what that means is if you bought, if you use something like the Robinhood app, which you can get on your phone, and you used it, you put money onto it, and then you use it to buy and sell stocks across their app. And if you used that to buy the stocks, and the stock was on the rise, or the stock was on the fall, and you wanted to wait for it to come back up, what Robinhood could do is offload their debt by pre-selling all of their stock options, which basically right. means you lose your stock at the price that they had it at because Robinhood's holding the debt for the stock. So there's people who bought it at $2 yep. and Robinhood was like, nope, at $200. So there was $200 more per share to be made. There's also people who bought it at $200 while it was on the fall waiting for it to come back up and yep. Robin Hood sold it at like 150 so they instantly lost all of this money so it basically the machine stepped in and fucked all these little people yeah. i mean it just proved that you can't fight the system as a little little guy right they you know? used the system they used the government and they used the system against the little guys because they were winning right the only benefit out of that whole situation is that they exposed how corrupt the system is. Right. And now there's a very real, very honest conversation going on about that. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, in some ways it's good, but sorry, I didn't want to like go on this whole thing, but this no, is exactly it's, it's what he's correct. talking about yeah. in like a very modern example. So. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, and he, he specifically said at that time back then that the system has not yet fully achieved control over all human behavior and is in the midst of struggling to gain that control. And I think the Wall Street bets thing and, um, you know, a lot of the stuff going on in social media today with like some censorship and some different stuff happening, I think that's a perfect example of that they still don't have full control. And it still is this like very difficult struggle that's happening where that control is trying to be imposed, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, and they're still trying to wrangle over 
Yeah. You know, while they're wrangling over this whole control thing. Like what control do they get? What control do they not get? Yeah. You know, like there's um, no, there's no like, like textbook of like, here's what we should do, even though the constitution is pretty outright straightforward about it. But like as personal businesses, as privately owned businesses, they're like, what are we supposed to do here? You know, do we just let Nazis run rampant and say whatever they want? Do we just embrace being quote unquote good parts of society and doing that? Like, like where does it fall in and what are we supposed to do? And nobody knows. Right. And I think this shows like the inherent chaos in the system of not realizing what they're quote unquote supposed to do. And I think Kaczynski had a pretty good point that they're still trying to achieve that control. Like they're trying to figure that out. And this is, I'm not saying like Twitter and Facebook are trying to control society. I'm just saying like, there's a, there's a cog there in this overall machine that's like trying to figure it out. And they're like poking and pressure testing different parts of it to try to realize like where these different things are and how it works, you know? Right. And And if a situation comes in where people try to buck and mass, the system comes back and shuts them down. Yeah. And like, you could feel in the air as you were watching that news unfold. There was this like feeling in the air of like, why doesn't Wall Street just shut this down? Like, and there were people saying right. that. There yeah. Were, there were like, not Jim Cramer, but like one of those other big guys was like, well, Wall Street needs to shut these guys down. And it's like, why? Why? This, this, the They're stock playing market is, the stock game. The stock market is not a private entity. It's not like this thing that we're not allowed to touch. All of our retirement plans are wrapped up in it, you know? So, yeah. Because we went from a pension system to a 401k stock retirement system, like now you brought us all into this mess and now we're going to mess with it and try to figure out how to make it work. And you rich assholes who are in charge of it are going to have to play that game too along with us. Yeah. Well, luckily 401ks and retirement type stuff, they're protected against this kind of stock fluctuation. I mean, unless the entire system collapses. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, your 401s may have dropped a handful of couple points or whatever right uh but they'll i mean they'll bounce right back they're you know they're not going to be making these thousand points thousands of points worth of swings right like these little you know yeah handful of dollar short sale stocks are but you know yeah it's all part of the same again unless the entire system collapses right right right. right. then your 401k is worth nothing right then i wish i had that money in my bank (laughs) right exactly exactly if your bank stays up you know uh true um, so Kaczynski, it's all digital funny money now. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, does it even matter? Kaczynski predicts that this system will break down if it cannot achieve significant control. And that is likely the issue that will be decided within the next few decades. He said uh, 50 to 100 years in the 90s. So, I mean, we'll see. We'll see where it comes. I feel like this sort of thing is going to come to a head a lot sooner. He states that the task of those who oppose industrial society is to promote stress within and upon the society and to propagate anti-technology ideology, one that offers the counter ideal of nature. Kaczynski goes on to say that a revolution will only be possible when industrial society is sufficiently unstable. So basically, I mean, he's calling for mass versions of, you know, Hong Kong riots, what's going on around our country now, Wall Street bets, these different angles. And if you disrupt these systems from so many different angles, then that sort of thing is bound to happen. And, you know, revolution could be in the air if you see that stuff kind of continue. So, I mean, he says a lot of interesting stuff there. And yes, he did blow people up, but, you know, 
there's some interesting points. He also had a lot of stuff in his manifesto about left-wing politics and right-wing politics and and um, some different aspects of, of how he looked at that. And there was some mildly uh, racist adjacent things in there that, that people in 2020 would cringe out a little bit. Um, but again, some of the bigger ideas, there were definitely some academics who looked at the manifesto and had some positive thoughts around it. And that's some stuff we're going to jump into on the next episode for sure. Um, and we'll start with that. Uh, yeah. Next week. Sick. Yeah. We'll dig into all that in seven days or, or in three minutes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, as a fun fact, I was actually just kind of flipping through Reddit as Jake was reading all this stuff. And apparently, as of this morning, Monday morning, uh, February 15th, Robinhood has once again halted trading on all stocks, not Weird. just the short stocks. Oh, everything. Oh, everything. Interesting. I'm also surprised Wall Street Bets didn't get banned. I thought for sure that would happen. From what, Reddit? Yeah, from Reddit. I thought Reddit No, actually, the administrators of Reddit reached out to them and were like, hey, you guys are having more traffic than literally any other subreddit <laughs> on the entire Reddit, we're and you're crashing our servers. So we need oh, wow. you to switch megathreads more frequently. Interesting. They well, were actually giving them advice on how to run more smoothly. <laughs> that's cool. That's better than just shutting them down. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. All right, cool. Well, let's, uh, let's dig into all more of this next week. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening as we do our part one of the Unabomber Ted Kaczynski two-parter. Uh, as Jake said, next week we are going to be back and we are going to be talking about the bombings. We're going to be talking about the victims. We're going to be talking about the FBI stuff. We're going to talk more about MK MKUltra uh, and a bunch more Ted Kaczynski. I don't want to say fun, but Ted Kaczynski stuff. <laughs> and uh, stay tuned. So we will see you guys again uh, next week. Talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Brew Luminati. Our intro and outro music is written by Dungeness. Want to learn more about the topics we cover and who we are? Join us on Facebook and Instagram at Brew Luminati Podcast for behind the scenes content and updates. Do you have mystical powers of insight or just questions, suggestions, and feedback? Reach out to us at thebrewluminati at gmail.com. Are you ready to immerse yourself into the inner circle? Visit patreon.com slash brewluminati podcast. For the same price as a cup of coffee or sandwich you won't remember, you know, because of mind control, you can join the Brewluminati and lift the veil on the true mysteries of the universe. Your membership to the Conclave unlocks access to our secret Discord server, bonus Patreon-only content, behind-the-scenes talks, and much more. Every dollar spent not only helps us reveal the truths of the world, but also frees us to make the show better, weirder, and allows us to go deeper and deeper into the void while funding our next beer run. When we're not talking conspiracies and beer, we're passionate about saving the forgotten puppies and kitties of the world. 10% of every dollar you donate goes directly to the Best Friend Pet Adoption Agency. They are a local 501c3 all-breed, all-foster cat and dog rescue that will save the life of a pet who never had a chance. Keep an eye out because we'll be posting pictures of the lives our listeners save. For more information on Best Friend Pet Adoption, head over to bfpa.org. Join us again next week for another episode of Brew Luminati. We know you will, because again, mind control is real. Mind control is real.